Hello, and welcome to my podcast, The Mongols, Chinese Emperors. This is episode six, The Two Brothers. In my last episode, I spoke about Kublai Khan's death, and that led to another succession problem. We learned about his grandson, Temur, who was the next Khan and Yuan Dynasty Emperor, as well as what he had to deal with during his short 13-year reign. In this episode... Yet again, another succession war over the royal family. Another emperor, Kulag, comes to the throne, and he will last only about four years. His younger brother took over for him, and he tried to sinicize the Yuan dynasty. I'll spend some time talking a little bit about the Chinese civil examination system and the Mongolian emperor's responses to it. And finally, I'll briefly talk about other major world events that were occurring during this time. The former Khan and emperor, Timur, or Temur, died without designating an heir. Temur's successor, Kaishan came to the throne after a violent conflict involving many imperial family members and leading officials. Kaishan is better known as Kulag, and he was born in the year 1281. He ascended to the Khanate and to the Chinese dynasty throne in the year 1307. He took the Chinese emperor name Wuzong. Kulag Khan was Temur's nephew and was also a great-grandson of Kublai Khan. For those that are counting, he would be the seventh great Khan of the Mongol Empire and the third Yuan Dynasty Emperor. Of course, as I have discussed before, Kulag Khan was only a nominal ruler of the Mongol Empire. Immediately, he had a severe debt and inflation problem within his realm, and general discontent grew as a result of it. The value of the dynasty's paper currency devalued about 80% during his short reign. I'll talk a little more about this in just a bit. One of the things you learn as you study the Yuan dynasty, is that its deterioration can be partially explained by the lack of uniformity among their emperors. Kulig Khan's reign is a perfect example. He was the opposite of his uncle, Temur Khan, in his political style. Remember, Temur strove to preserve his grandfather, Kublai Khan's political legacy. 
Kulikan had little of that preservation desire. He disregarded the previous systems and protocols. He did not make much effort to follow past practices in the designation of ministers and the necessary qualifications. Kulikan's administration soon swelled in size with many unqualified officials. Part of the reason why Kulik took his approach was his background. First, he was young when he became the great Khan. What experience he had was through his military background. He had been the supreme commander of the UN forces in the steppe region immediately before his ascension to the throne. A politician he was not. Kulikan Khan was more the typical nomadic warrior and had no interest in statecraft and no patience with civil affairs or bureaucracy. Again, the opposite of his great-grandfather Kublai and his uncle Temer Khan. Kulikan Khan basically created his own administration his way, using his military commanders in many administrative positions. He indiscriminately gave out titles and positions of ranking offices within his administration. Unsurprisingly, the financial costs of all of this ballooned the the cost of the bureaucracy, and it soon became a serious problem. Kulik Khan was also known to live lavishly. When he took the throne, there was little in the way of reserves. So he faced a fiscal crisis of huge proportions. His response was not to cut back, but to tax more. And then, after about four years as the Khan and Emperor, he died in 1311. He did, however, manage to make a pact with his younger brother to name him as the next in line. Kulikan Khan died without a known male heir. And he did not leave much of a legacy given his short reign. He is known primarily for two events if a legacy had to be forced from his short four-year reign. One, the value of the paper currency dramatically fell in value during his reign, as I've stated before, by about 80%. This was due to his abysmal fiscal management, his lifestyle, and the financial mess he inherited. The second part of his legacy, and in it was in response to the first, was that he minted and issued a new coin, and these coins became the most common Yuan dynasty era, era coinage. The coins are called Jirda Tongbao. Other than those two things, there is not much more to say about Kulig Khan. His younger brother, 
succeeded him and was officially enthroned in April of the year 1311. His name was Ayurbarwada Bayantu. I will, however, refer to him by his easier name to pronounce and his Chinese emperor name, Renzong. And he was born in the year 1285. That put him at about four years younger than his brother, Kulig. And Emperor Renzong was the eighth great Khan of the Mongol Empire, nominally, of course, and the fourth Chinese Yuan Emperor. His reign is primarily known for his push to sinicize the Yuan dynasty. He wanted to adopt traditional Chinese systems and implement Confucian principles. The succession to Renzong was the first peaceful and smooth transition in the Yuan imperial history. Of course, it was because his brother Kulig had made an arrangement with him. And other than adhering and following his brother's arrangement for succession, Renzong would follow little else from his brother. Immediately, Renzong purged his brother's top advisors and reversed many of his policies. When you consider Renzong's background, some of this makes sense and predictable. Renzong had been raised and tutored by Chinese tutors, completely different than his brother Kulig. Renzong was fluent in Mandarin and had a solid background in Confucian principles. Renzong wanted more Chinese and Confucian officials in his administration. One of the things he also did was he halted all existing building projects due to the mounting and overwhelming fiscal issues that had survived his brother's death. Renzong brought back the civil service examination system that had been abolished since the beginning of the Yuan dynasty. The civil service examination system gave ordinary citizens a path to becoming a government official. The examination system allowed a certain number of both Mongol and Han Chinese to enter government service. Kublai Khan had abolished the civil examination exams because it too much favored Chinese. But Renzong wanted it back unchanged. He believed it encouraged Mongolians to study Chinese thought and accelerated the sinicization of the Mongols. Mongol emperors were reluctant to adopt a uniform civil and legal code. This was partially because the Mongol dynasty was a multi-ethnic society and uniformity would be a challenge but it was also partially because the Mongol leaders did not want to live by a defined code. Chinese officials, however, pressured Renzong 
that his dynasty needed a uniform legal and civil code, as many other Chinese dynasties had before. Actually, Kublai Khan and Temur Khan had tried to implement a uniform code, but only got limited results. Renzong, however, made it a priority. In the year 1316, a code was completed, but the review of it, and before it was implemented, took longer than anyone had anticipated, and it would not be completed until after Emperor Renzong's death. The code that was finally promulgated marked a high point in the maturity of the Yuan dynasty. It fell short, however, of a comprehensive code as it did not completely accept previous Chinese dynasties' codes. The code did reflect many of the Mongolian customs and institutions that were in place during the Yuan dynasty. For this reason, it is useful to study to understand the Mongolian contribution to Chinese culture. So, it is not a surprise if I say again that Renzon's focus was to reform the Yuan dynasty along more traditional Chinese ways. Certain elements and systems, however, of his dynasty could not be reformed. From the start of the dynasty, Kublai Khan had gamed the system, if you will, to give Mongols an advantage over the Chinese. Mongol society was ranked in accordance with their loyalty to the Yuan Emperor. At the top, and the most favored, were people of Mongol descent. Next were those peoples of Central Asia, of Turkic and Muslim origins. Then came the Hanren, the people from northern China, the Jurchens, the Manchus, and the Tibetans. Finally, the lowest-ranking members of the society were the Nanren, those of southern Chinese Sung-ruled descent, Sung dynasty-ruled descent. Each group was treated differently by the judiciary and their eligibility and preference for government positions. They were also taxed differently. An example of this different treatment was that if a Mongol was found guilty of murder, he would be fined. On the other hand, a southern Chinese found guilty of theft was not only fined, but tattooed as a criminal as well. Chinese were forbidden to take Mongol names or wear Mongol clothes or speak Mongolian. Intermarriage was discouraged. These were some examples of the things Renzong wanted to change. The problem he faced was if he pushed reforms too hard, many, particularly the Mongolian princes, would work against him. The privileges the princes had were a source of largesse, and the Khanate had never restored to fiscal health. Despite Renzong's efforts to reform the dynasty, his reign was plagued by resistance from the other imperial princes and family factional struggles. 
the infighting prevented him from fully implementing his agenda. Nonetheless, Renzong has to be judged on these failures and successes. His inability to control the imperial family and that interference put a stain on his reign. Emperor Renzong died in March of the year 1320 at the age of 35. His nearly nine-year reign was not enough to steer the Yuan dynasty in a different direction. So ended nearly the 13-year period marking the two reigns of the two brothers. If my math is correct, that is three emperors in a span of 26 years. And each three could not be more different than the other two. The first, Temer Khan, tried to honor and continue the policies of his grandfather, Kublai Khan. After Temer, there was Kulag Khan, and he was nothing like his uncle. Then, of course, came Emperor Renzong, Kulag Khan's brother, and he was unlike the two previous Khans and emperors. Clearly, these changing practices by changing emperors in a relatively short period of time was not conducive to stability to the empire, the dynasty, and the Mongol brand. Emperor Renzong tried to revert the dynasty back to traditional Chinese and Confucian principles. He failed to resolve the fiscal problems of the dynasty. Emperor Renzong is also known as the first Yuan emperor who actually supported the adoption of Confucian principles into the Khanate and the Chinese dynasty. There are some historians that argue Renzong was the last competent Yuan emperor. Now, occasionally, in my various podcasts, I like to mention unrelated events that occurred elsewhere in the world about the same time as the events I have been discussing. The context, I think, helps give a better wider view of what was happening in the world, even even if it had no connection with our events. One international event worth mentioning was happening in Europe and the British Isles. From the year 1315 to the year 1322, give or take a couple of years on either side, Europe went through the Great Famine. Northern Europe was affected the most. It seems to have started after a poor crop year in the year 1315. Coupled with the crop failures were disease in livestock. It is estimated that between 10 to 25 percent of the population died from starvation and malnutrition. The other notable event was about the same time frame as Kulig Khan's reign. William Wallace was executed in England for his actions throughout Scotland and England. In the next episode, 
it will be filled with regicide, skullduggery, betrayal, and succession fights. The dynasty after that will be mortally wounded. So thank you. It has been my pleasure. <laughs>